Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Genesis of Startups, where we interview brilliant minds in entrepreneurship to explore what it's really like to start a business. Today, it is an honor to have Angela Kwan, a serial entrepreneur, investor, and lawyer. Angela spent a decade working and living throughout East Asia and the United States in various corporate roles before returning to Australia to establish Catalyzer. Currently the co-founder, Catalyzer aims to increase workplace giving by providing a platform that connects organizations and their staff to innovative courses. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thanks, William. Great to take part. Could you tell us a bit about yourself and Catalyzer? Sure. Well, I know we're talking to um, a Sydney Uni audience. I'm actually a graduate of Sydney University. I completed my Bachelor of Laws, Bachelor of Arts a while ago now in 2004. And I I guess I did law and arts, not thinking that I'd be a career lawyer, but always seeing this as a stepping stone to doing something entrepreneurial. And I guess even when I did practice as a lawyer for 10 years, but I always searched for entrepreneurial opportunities within a larger corporate environment. And so I practiced as a lawyer in in Hong Kong and studied my master's of law in the US. And during my experiences practicing in Asia, that's part of the inspiration of Catalyzer emerged there. I guess a lot of people enter law because they want to make a difference and impact for the community. And as a lawyer, there's lots of opportunities to do pro bono work, get involved in charity causes and fundraising, etc. What I found was that there was a lot of positive energy from the staff and also leadership, but there was a lack of systems to pull all these programs together. So a lot of community charity volunteering events or pro bono projects were done on an ad hoc basis, probably inspired by mm. a very motivated individual. But without any kind of systems, there's a lot of admin work, very hard to gather data on impact and and continue and scale programs. So when I came back to Australia in 2014, I kind of, it was at a time when there was a lot of growth in the B2C Kickstarter and kind of fundraising spaces. I thought, why don't we mash some of the digital advancements in B2C crowdfunding and, and, and fundraising with a B2B need of being able to get staff engaged in community activities and f- to help corporates see the value and measure the impact of those community activities. So a bit of background about myself and how I started Catalyzer. Hmm, that's very interesting. So it's kind of you, you found out the inspiration while working in a law firm and then that's how you ended up de- designing the software. Yeah, that's right. And I guess while you're working a lawyer, you engage with other organizations. And I saw that clients, everyone, there was a growing trend to understanding that firms are not just there to make profits for themselves and people aren't just motivated to work for a paycheck. So I guess during my career, I've seen the growth of the purpose movement and how people are seeing that employment is is not just a way to, to better ourselves, but to actually engage and make a difference to the community. Yeah, that's awesome. How does Catalyzer as a platform work? Yeah, so we're a software as a service solution. So we know, so the I guess the name Catalyzer, we were trying to position ourselves as like a catalyst, like in a science experiment, where we're helping to mm. amplify or accelerate the reaction. And, and the reacting parties in, in our case is really the corporates and their staff and their charity partners. So we're here to amplify 
that impact and that partnership and that engagement between these groups. So how we do that is we provide a platform that sits within the corporate's IT infrastructure. And so the platform will be totally branded and customized for our corporate customer. And then we help them manage the different types of community activities that they might offer to their staff. So we have a range of modules that help the management and reporting of typical corporate CSR activities like workplace giving, fundraising, appeals like people doing City to Surf or Movember, and also things like volunteering and pro bono. And we're also evolving to create new modules that cater for issues like sustainability drives or diversity initiatives that a corporate might be doing. And the idea is this platform is absolutely unique to each corporate. The content is unique to each corporate. And so for most staff members, they don't realize they're going or using a a third-party software. They feel like this is just part of their digital and workplace experience as an employee. And for for the corporate, they have a centralized portal where all the data and all their impact in terms of volunteering hours, the causes they're supporting, how much time their staff are engaged, it's all there in analytics and dashboards so, so and, and reporting so that they can evolve their programs based on their staff engagement as well. Yeah, I see. I really like how, you know, what you said about from the employee's perspective, nothing else really changes. And so it's just something that's simply integrated. Whereas for the organization, the employer, they provided, they you provide a centralized system for them to track all the data. How does the social enterprise or charity end up getting employers or staff members to say donate or volunteer for them so is it listed on your website or yeah so so what happens and i think this is another area that we were trying to solve was that charities fundraising is a necessary role for charities and charities were often often struggling with getting the attention and and building and scaling corporate partnerships a great corporate partnerships is a great funding and resource for charities And so what Catalyzer does is we don't charge our charity partners any fees. So they, the corporate bears a software license fee for using the platform. And then we feature the charity partners that the corporates are already working with. So it's like a curated marketplace of charity partners that align to your corporate mission and purpose. So what we're finding also is that corporates are becoming very strategic Uh, in terms of the cause areas and the partners that they support. So one trend is the United Nations Sustainability Development Goals. So a corporate, for example, might, because of the industry they operate in or that location or the geography that they operate in, select certain parts, certain UN SDGs as their theme areas, for example, water or reduction of poverty, etc. And then they might choose some strategic charity partners that fall under those cause areas or themes. And therefore, the charity partners that are featured in their program are those that align to that theme. And so when they engage their staff and and tell that story, it's all aligned to a higher strategy and a higher social purpose that they're trying to solve. And so for us, it's about helping the corporates to match and find interesting community partners can do that in different countries around the world. And it might be smaller partners that they might not have engaged with, not household names, but charities, um, smaller charities as well, have now the ability to get exposure um, through the platform because of the theme area that they operate in. 
Yeah, absolutely. So then you can just search on the platform. Okay, my organization wants to align more with the SDGs, with the Sustainable Development Goals, and it becomes easier because the charities are able to, you know, get the exposure that they need. That's right. And so we we provide more than the software. We provide that curation process. And and right now we're working with over four hundred charities in ten countries around the world. Wow. So I can imagine that. The network effect would be really, you know, strongly pronounced in in your startup. At the beginning, did you find it hard? Where, say, you didn't have a lot of charity partners yet, and a lot of not a lot of organisations coming in yet either. How did you go about, I suppose, selling this product to the charities and the organisations without that, you know, network effect initially? Yeah, it's a really great point, William. And I think I've heard some founders say that B two B's B two B's super hard, especially when you're trying to sell an essentially a non-business critical software to to some big organizations and, and there's a lot of barriers to entry. So for yeah. us, how we started out was A, we tried to really understand the sector. So we did some white papers, some research, some collaborations with organizations that were already leading corporate giving in Australia. So one alliance we had, for example, was with an organization called um, Workplace Giving Australia. So they're a not-for-profit that is promoting workplace giving in the country. So we were working with them, we created a comparison tool where corporates can see how their workplace giving participation compares to other corporates of, of, of similar size or industry. And as part of a movement they created called the One Million Donors Program, the idea was to get to 1 million corporate employees donating to charities through workplace giving by 2020, by this year. So haven't quite reached the 1 million mark, but those early collaborations where we were kind of building bespoke platforms and, and consulting work with them helped us to really understand the market. And then for us, we really didn't build out the entire software platform until we had our first customer. So with our first customer, we had commitment from a corporate and we built the platform really reflecting their needs. And so we didn't build the software first is I guess what I'm saying. And so, mm. and then our second customer helped us evolve the platform further. And so it was kind of a slow, gradual process for the initial two or three customers and then kind of evolving a little bit at a time based on feedback and a lot of customer engagement and and also stakeholder engagement with, with charities and listening to to what, what their needs were and pain points were. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of the book, um, Lean Startup. I'm not sure if you've read it. Yes, yeah. Because it, it, they listed quite a lot of examples in it with other startups where they started off with one or two customers and they really tried to, you know, intently get the feedback from the bottom so for example with Groupon they they had their first customer and they just literally asked them feedback and built the software around the feedback that they received from the first few customers kind of like what you're doing as well so that way it kind of solves the unnecessary wastage of expenses where you're you know you know building a software that nobody wants yeah I think that's a really good tip especially in founders I guess for us as well my co-founder and I are not software developers, so yeah. there was a limitation from our technical ability. So that, so that kind of understanding the pain point 
was very important. But I guess for a lot of founders who might have, be, have their strength in the engineering or the software side, some people I've seen spend a lot of time building in their mind the perfect platform and then trying to sell it. I guess there is a danger in doing that, that if you focus too much on the technology, that's not really the whole picture of, of running a business. You can have a great technology, but without the the customer base and, and the other business processes around it, it, it's very hard to make it sustainable and scale. Absolutely. So Catalyzer was founded about five years ago. What other challenges have you experienced since running it? So I think there are very common challenges that uh, a lot of SaaS software companies experience. It's great to get your first few customers, to, but to after that first proof of concept, how to get it to scale and and bigger viability. So, so I guess I would I would put it in kind of three buckets. Firstly, from a product point of view, it's building a product that services one or two customers is very different to building a product that can service a hundred. So, yeah. a lot of uh, continuous kind of improvements on the platform side infrastructure not just the kind of the 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 pretty ux that that everyone sees but a lot of behind the scenes so for example having uh, the right infrastructure and security to be able to scale and then also understanding from a product point of view when customer especially corporates are going through vendor due diligence to implement a new software platform you're going to be evaluated compared to some bigger enterprise software solutions that they're buying. Um, so you, part of that evaluation is not just that your product has the functionality and the capability to meet that need, but that your product meets quite stringent, say, privacy, data security, other vendor requirements. And as a small mm. uh, company, when you're kind of being compared to some bigger software platforms that companies might be buying to be able to meet those and, and have the policies, processes, infrastructure necessary to be able to meet those needs. So I guess that that's the second point is after product, having all those business processes to be able to scale and to earn the trust of big enterprises. Yeah. And then I guess the third point is scaling. I mean, our vision from day one was beyond Australia. We wanted to be the leading Asia-Pacific solution for this kind of software. And so I guess for us, we were almost creating a new class of software where it wasn't like people knew corporate giving platforms and software was a category that people would easily identify with. So the education and and, and, and co-creating that need with, with the market as, as corporates see greater importance in sustainability and community impact. And then, so how do we do this? Creating the market. And then I guess obviously underlaying everything is also having the funding and the resources to be able to, to support us through this journey. Mm, I see. So going back to the, your second point about the, the business processes, I really like the point that you made about, you know, how large corporates are quite sometimes hesitant on, on partnering with a small unproven vendor and there are policies, processes and infrastructure that needs to be met. You know, I can imagine that each company has their own sort of specific categories that they want to look for. How do you go about I guess, providing this for all the numerous types of you know, large organizations or not necessarily even large, just organizations in general that you have? Yeah, I think this is where 
an understanding of the of the procurement process and the stakeholders involved in a buying decision within especially if you're doing B2B, what the enterprise business process is, is, is really important. So an example is the user of Catalyzer from within a corporate might be someone in the CSR team or the HR team, depending on the organization. But for that user to be able to get budget and buy-in to implement a system will require them to also get the buy-in of multiple stakeholders within the company, including IT, legal, finance, etc. So an understanding yeah. that you you might be selling directly to one business unit, but they also need the buy-in of multiple other business units. Understanding kind of the processes and the timing for all those other business units is important. And then understanding what kind of criteria that each of these stakeholders have is is something that I guess after you you've, you've done it a few times, you understand that. But the first time it takes longer probably than you anticipated. So even if you've convinced the, the ultimate user of the product, you might have to go through, say, a security, a detailed security analysis or, you know, the contracting phase, the, the negotiation phase on the commercial terms. All those uh, require slightly different skill sets from your core product that you're selling. So, mm. so I guess that's, that's what we found I guess where you can get support is having mentors or being able to talk to other companies that have gone through similar processes and working, if you have a good relationship with your buyer, being able to understand that internal process of being able to complete a sale and then support your customer going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about understanding that there are different gatekeepers in the organization. And then maybe you can look towards other companies that have done it successfully in the past and try to emulate how, you know, how they went about doing it. That's right. So I I guess what I've found, especially with enterprise sales, is that it's really you're selling more than your core product. You have to create trust and not just sell the fact that your product works when you do the demo, but that it can be consistently operational and be well supported within the corporate after you implement your product. Definitely. So you mentioned that you are you know, hoping that Catalyzer becomes the leading software in the APAC region. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means and does something like this already exist say in North America or yeah. why the APAC region specifically? Yeah, that's, I think a lot of when Australian entrepreneurs start startups, a lot of us have a vision that this is not just going to be an Australian product, that it's going to be a global or at least regional product. Yeah. For us, when we were evaluating the space in North America and in Canada, there's some examples of software that has been around for decades that were helping corporates with their corporate giving programs. And I guess probably the CSR culture and the maturity of social impact might be a little bit more advanced, you could say, in places like Canada or the US. And so what we found was there were some great examples of companies that had kind of really established themselves and were servicing Fortune 500 companies in, in those regions. What we know with charities and with social impact and with a lot of software is that each region and each jurisdiction is pretty specific 
And so mm. the products that were doing really well in North America didn't really always translate well to our region. And why, I guess, Asia was so interesting for us, a couple of reasons. One was kind of the social impact need, I guess, unlike kind of North America and even Australia, where we've got kind of good social welfare, government social welfare safety nets, relative kind of socioeconomic conditions that can help different sectors of society and a a kind of quite well-regulated charity sector. These concepts of CSR are really at the start in Asia, Mm. especially when as a lot of Asian countries kind of advance, the government social welfare nets might not be as established. Charities might not, the charity sector might not be so, so well developed. So there was a real opportunity, but there's there's still a huge income, I guess, gap or or socioeconomic problems that have happened quickly because of how, how quickly these countries have developed. So there was a real kind of space for the charity corporate partnerships to grow and a lack of systems and software to do that. So, so we saw a market gap there. Mm. The other interesting thing in Asia was we were seeing the growth of regulation that was actually obliging or encouraging corporates to be more socially responsible. So some examples are in Hong Kong and in Singapore and in Malaysia, listed companies are required to disclose annual reports like their regular financial annual reports on their ESG impact or their environmental, social and governance impact. So these, this is a requirement that has come in in the last few years. So all listed companies have to do these reports. So especially on the S or the social impact side, there are metrics they have to report on like the number of hours that they have contributed to charitable organisations or, or the philanthropic contributions they've done. Now, without systems, it's very hard for companies to be able to tell those story and have a verifiable data field to do that. So we saw there's an opportunity to support listed companies to do that disclosure better and engage their staff in that process. Similarly, in, for example, countries like India, actually in 2014, the Company Act was changed to require Indian companies with a certain, after they hit a certain revenue target to give 2% back to the community. So there's actually laws that require community input. So looking at those trends and the growth of adoption of, say, the UN Sustainability Development Goals and other sustainability movements that are happening in Asia, we, we found, hey, this is a region that is not served by technology currently. There's a real growth and need for vibrant charity sector. Corporates are getting involved and understanding the importance of this. We can provide a platform to help accelerate and manage this process. And and so I guess that's kind of one of another reasons why we're so excited by Asia. And I guess the, the examples and stories and case studies we have in Australia, there's a lot of applicability to Asia, probably more so than maybe some of the North American examples. Hmm, I get your point. It's just the growth opportunity that's that's presented in the Asia Pacific region that's that's making the focus. You know, so yes. What other? If you had to give one piece of advice to budding entrepreneurs, what would it be? 
I think a lot of people, and I'm so, I, I wish I was kind of going through uni at this stage where people <laughs> are so, there's so many tools and so much excitement about being an entrepreneur. I didn't graduate that long ago, but, but it seems that the culture has, has, has changed a lot in terms of what professions people would do and, and what people would do after uni or, or the reasons for studying certain courses at uni. A lot of people, and it's great, are doing their first business straight out of uni or during uni. And a lot of people are kind of foregoing regular professional training to, to just be an entrepreneur from day one. I guess one piece of advice is, you know, I, I spent 10 years working in corporates before and, and, and in a profession before I, I took this plunge. And for, for, for those that might not have that idea right away, but still want to be entrepreneurs, I guess my advice is it's, it's not too late. You're, you're not too old to start a business when you're 30 or 40. You don't feel like you, you miss a boat if you're not, you know, starting your first business at 18 or dropping out of uni at 21 to, to launch that garage software company. So, and I guess another piece of advice is even if you do start in a corporate, corporates are also have really embraced entrepreneurship and innovation. So, even if you say join an accounting firm or a law firm, you'll be surprised and delighted to know that there's opportunities to be entrepreneurial within a corporate, join a new business unit. There's all these design thinking workshops and other ways to be entrepreneurial and learn entrepreneurial skills within the corporate. So don't feel like even if you do join an, a bigger organization that you've kind of missed the boat on becoming an entrepreneur. Mm, absolutely. I love that um, because I think sometimes people paint a picture that corporates just are mutually exclusive with entrepreneurship, that if you go into corporate, it's just it's no longer going to be fast paced and exciting. It's just going to be, you know, a nine to five. But it's it, it is good to hear that there is a greater push towards support to the entrepreneurial movement in corporates as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many corporate accelerator programs where you can be an entrepreneur within your corporate, or the fact that if you would the skills that you might learn in a corporate, you could end up being a mentor or helping out some startups with the skills you learn for a few years before you, you take the plunge into your own startup. So yeah, there's definitely opportunities to, I feel like entrepreneurialism is a mindset. It's not just, you can be an entrepreneur without doing a startup full time. Mm, definitely. Well, Angela, thank you so much for being a guest here today. Thanks, William. And Thanks, everyone. And I'm very happy if people connect to me through LinkedIn or through Catalyzer. I'm very happy to connect to other people who might be interested in this space to talk further as well. Absolutely. If anyone wants to learn more about Catalyzer or about Angela Kwan, feel free to drop us a line and we can send you some links as well. I hope you found it incredibly valuable. Until next time.